was cracking big dogs. Welcome, Bike, to the channel. Welcome, Bike, to the headquarters. This is BDGE, Fantasy Football. Big dogs got to eat. I am Nicholas. That is Steve. That is Heath. That is actually Steve's mom and dad repping some big dogs gear. If you want to get some merch, hop over to bigdogsfantasy.com. It's Q&A Monday. Q&A Monday. Don't be confused with regular Monday. This is a different day of the week. This is Monday spelled with 13 A's where I'm taking all y'all's questions, the breaking questions that the streets needs answers to. Some of them are fantasy, trade topics, dynasty, redraft, business related, life related, margarita related. No question is off topic, off limit. So if you want to have your question answered, you could do one of two things. You either sign up on Patreon, patreon.com slash BDGE, where I post a thread weekly where you could drop your questions in there or two you could join the discord channel which is also where you could join a dynasty startup so if you want to get into dynasty discord is in there just dm me on discord i will link that in the description i will link that in the comment section all you guys i say this every time and then you guys comment where's discord i'm like bruh bruh in the damn description everything i talk about always in the description except for all the times that i say it's in the description and it's not there because that happens all the time so i apologize in the description, sign up for our Discord channel. You'll be able to talk with people about football 24-7. Just DM me on there, ask your question, and if I think it's a good fit for that week's Q&A Monday, y'all will be in the episode. So without further ado, stop yelling. I'll lower my volume. Tuck your shirts in. Let's eat. First question in from Uncle George. Some of you guys might not know, but George has been a recurring theme on these Q&As. He's actually part of the Big Dogs team. He does a lot of the memes that you see come out on the Big Dogs page. So if you're not following us on Instagram, make sure you do that at Big Dog Fantasy and George underscore BDGE, I think. Maybe that's wrong, but I'll link it on the screen, whatever his handle is. Uncle Georgie asks, how do you think the Ravens will split the work in this crowded backfield? And that's a good question. I, I understand that it worries you as a, as a monster Cleveland Browns fan being the division you want to know what you're up against now when we look back at 2019 which is hard to say for sure that that's really going to help us dictate how this is going to affect this year's backfield Mark Ingram took about half of the snaps I believe he was at around 49 percent and when I say I believe I have advanced analytics that I've done a ton of research on and I know for a fucking fact so I don't know why I said I believe he played on 49 percent of the snaps Gus Edwards was in on 35 percent of the snaps and Justice Hill about 16 percent J.K. Dobbins was the obvious addition to this backfield coming into 2020 he was their second round pick they believe him to be a first round talent as did a lot of NFL talent evaluators however the running back position is just being devalued a little bit he comes in as a, as a high capital running back he immediately makes Gus Edwards redundant and Justice Hill redundant he upgrades the backfield in a major way right and if, if Gus Edwards is going to stay on the field it's going to be at Mark Ingram's expense Dobbins is extremely talented however it's hard to imagine his path to playing time being substantial right off the rip. However, I do think there is a counter argument to be made, and it's just the fact that good teams are good for a reason. The Baltimore Ravens coaching staff is one of the best, you know, arguably the best, you know, probably top three or five in the NFL. They're just a very good franchise, very well run, very well coached. And when you have a team, when you have a franchise like that, typically one of the parts of the equations happen to be that you play good players, right? You don't let your ego or your pride sit rook 
rookies in favor of 32-year-old veterans because you want to show them that they have to work hard to get their place. If they're the most talented player on the field, they will get onto the field. And that is what is in J.K. Dobbins's favor. However, that's by no means a guarantee that he does outproduce Mark Ingram or these other guys. He will, of course, have to earn that mark. But when we look at what the Ravens have done to build around Lamar Jackson, all they've wanted to do including Lamar Jackson, is bring speed onto the field, man. I mean, not all of the pieces have hit, but there's a clear theme for what they're trying to do. Last year, they drafted Marquise Hollywood Brown in the first round. First wide receiver off the board. They bring in Justice Hill, who's running an elite 40-yard dash time. They bring in Miles Boykin, who, given his athletic profile in terms of pure speed as well. Mark Andrews is a fast tight end to add to the mix. So this year, you add in J.K. Dobbins, who is one of the most athletic, back, athletic backs in this class, and then Devin Duvernay, their slot wide receiver, who future slot wide receiver who runs a 4-3-9 40-yard dash. Very easy to see how J.K. Dobbins fits this offense as a whole. He adds that element of like a home run threat that they have been missing back there. And he basically immediately becomes the pass catching back in this backfield. But in terms of actual usage, this is where it gets a little bit dicey, right? I think it's less important to like look at the snap split here and more important to think about like where these guys are going to get their touches and who's getting the actual valuable touches in the backfield. This is a quote from PFF. Baltimore's 527 designed runs in 2019 were 66 more than any other team. And even if you filter out those that went to Lamar Jackson, their running back still ranked sixth with 392 carries. So I do want to point that out because that's always a theme running around Twitter is that like the they talk about the running backs and like the Ravens are the run heaviest team in the NFL. Like, yes, obviously when your quarterback is getting 15 carries a game, your team overall is going to be. But when you take out quarterback runs, they're still top six in the NFL in terms of running back carry. So lots of carries to go around. And I think within a few weeks, we'll probably see a snap split of like 55 to 45 in favor of Ingram. Maybe it's closer to like 50-50 with sprinkles of the other two running backs coming Coming in the problem becomes if we're looking at this from like a jk dobbins upside standpoint there's no incentive for the ravens to give dobbins the goal line work over a guy like mark ingram who's been very efficient on the goal line if you look back at last year's numbers only aaron jones ezekiel elliott and dalvin cook were more efficient on goal line carries than Mark Ingram was. So he's bigger. He's shown that he can be efficient on the goal line. There's no reason to say, oh, we like this flashy new rookie back. Let's just give him the goal line carries. And Mark Ingram has already had that role. So Dobbins might score a few rushing touchdowns this year. Maybe he breaks a home run away. Maybe they do give him a couple goal line carries in games where they're up by, you know, 20 or 30 points or something. The upside of touchdowns for Dobbins this year is probably realistically capped at around three or four. The more disappointing point here is in the receiving game, right? Like where you want to see him shine, it's just not what Lamar Jackson does again these running quarterbacks take a lot of those checkdowns away by escaping out of the pocket and running he just doesn't really throw to the running backs last year he targeted running backs on 15 percent of his throws which was the third lowest rate in the entire NFL Mark Ingram Gus Edwards and Justice Hill combined to catch 42 passes in 2019 there were 20 running backs alone that caught that many passes or more last year you have guys like Chris Thompson, Royce Freeman, and Jalen Samuels caught as many passes last year themselves as Ingram, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill combined. So that rate is already really low. And then you look at the fact that their offense is extremely run heavy to begin with. So even if Dobbins comes in and sees 70% of the running back targets, that's still going to be very low in volume and talking about overall, like in a vacuum, how how many receptions he's going to get. So all in all, it kind of feels like it's a backfield that I'm going to, I don't know if it's one I'm going to avoid, but I'm definitely going to take the cheapest cost running back here. Or maybe it's like a Miles Sanders situation, much better trade target guy, maybe draft Ingram for 
for the beginning of the year and then trade him away or don't draft either and then wait for week six or week eight and then trade for a J.K. Dobbins where we could see a breakout stretch. But you also have to remember, of course, that Miles Sanders broke out because Jordan Howard got hurt. Jordan Howard was extremely involved in that offense prior to, you know, injured and opening up that backfield for him. So Dobbins is definitely the most talented there, but this is just going to be a backfield that's splitting work in year one, especially. And Dobbins seems like he's probably going to get the less valuable touches in the backfield. So straight up, I would probably take Mark Ingram over J.K. Dobbins, but I'm not saying that Ingram's a guy that I'm necessarily targeting. I'd probably do the latter in which I would take the later pick or wait to trade for a guy like J.K. Dobbins. We got young Codine from Patreon. Thank you for the question. How big of an upgrade is Rager for Wentz's dynasty value who takes the biggest hit with Rager in the mix? What's a realistic stat line for Rager in his rookie campaign? So when I'm looking at Wentz's dynasty value, it's hard to... It's hard to say one singular piece, especially a rookie piece, comes in and really moves the needle for uh, for a quarterback, at least without like a solidified group around him. And the, and the Eagles have more than a formidable offense, but their wide receiver core itself, it's not like it's not like uh, C.D. Lamb coming in and propping up that entire. Cowboys offense to a new level like that makes me love Dak Prescott that much more but with Rager coming in he's a little less proven I think than CeeDee Lamb and he's not someone that I think affects the offense especially to the point where CeeDee Lamb does so he doesn't necessarily move the needle for me when it comes to Carson Wentz when I look at the situation overall like I like Rager a lot as a prospect I think he's dynamite and he could develop into like a very very good weapon for Wentz but I think Wentz's dynasty value really hinges on a lot more than just like one wide receiver being added to the mix right like what what does Philly have behind him at wide receiver almost nothing so I would say the pieces behind him developing are equally if not more important than Jalen Rager maybe they can squeeze out like 26 games this year between D and Alshon Jeffrey but that's like a one-year thing we're talking about dynasty value here and I think obviously his most worrying concern is his health right he's he's shown a lot of health concerns so far but those things are always going to be in the back of your mind when it comes to Wentz and the Eagles clearly are also worried about that because they take Jalen Hurts in the second round so that's another worry here so I I think Rager is less of an impact on Wentz's dynasty value long term than all of these other things with injuries and the other supporting cast members and Jalen Hurts and stuff so overall Wentz is is a very risky but Definitely still a high upside dynasty investment in Superflex, of course. He's not a a player I typically look to invest in in my startup. I, I usually tend to steer away from risky picks early in my draft and Wentz is going to have to be like a third round pick probably in dynasty startups right now and the drafting of Rager definitely makes me feel a little bit better but I feel like it's almost trying to wrap an entire gift with one piece of tape and that's just not going to get it done maybe you add another piece of tape and another piece of tape and then you got the gift wrap but Rager just seems like one nice piece of thick scotch tape in terms of who takes the biggest hit with Rager in the mix I don't I don't really think he impacts the other Eagles offensive players that much considering what he brings to the field you weren't investing in Deshaun Jackson or Alshon Jeffrey in Dynasty and those are the ones that he probably impacts immediately in terms of redraft the tight ends play a very different role than Rager Rager's a, a very good downfield guy he's a speed guy he stretches the field he can develop into an alpha but I think he's more of like a downfield playmaker so he doesn't run the same routes as like the tight ends do anyone behind him I mean JJ Arcega Whiteside of course will have to take a back seat to, to Rager probably Arcega Whiteside looks like he's kind of shaping up as more of like a situational player kind of how I talk about like to a very lesser extent like Devin Funches in Green Bay in last week's Q&A how he's going to be like a tight contested catch guy like red zone situational specialist kind of guy and and JJ's very young obviously still and maybe he will prove us wrong and break out this year or next year or whatever but it seems like it definitely hurts Whiteside's dynasty value and I don't think there's anyone really else on the team that it affects much next question coming in from 
the homie Nick Crad over on Discord. He asks, Q&A Monday. Not enough A's there. One, two, three, four, five. One of the hardest things in the world to do is read on a computer screen how many consecutive letters are in a row. You get lost at three or four, and then you for, you can't really tell which letter you're on anymore. But I know for damn sure it's not 13, so fucking put 13 A's next time you address me on Q&A Monday. Do I draft any handcuffed quarterbacks in Superflex leagues? Thanks, Nick. This might actually be my favorite question. My favorite, favorite question I've got so far on the Q&A Monday. So if you think you could top that, again, patreon.com slash BDGE, or just sign up for our Discord channel down below, which is absolutely free for y'all this is for obviously super flex dynasty if you're getting into dynasty now I'm, I'm, I'm assuming all the big dogs leagues are super flex i'm pretty sure i think we've opened up 40 or 50 startups already i want to say 100 percent of them are super flex so we're always talking two quarterbacks which means quarterbacks and dynasty are very hard to come by especially off the waiver wire so handcuffs can be extremely 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 valuable and understanding quarterback situations and contracts is one of the very, 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 very underrated sharp edges you can give yourself in dynasty leagues. And almost no one else in your league is diving in deep enough to find the right stashes to have on your roster when it comes to quarterback. And I will say one of the best resources out there, if you guys are not already aware with it, spotrack.com, S-P-O-T-R-A-C.com. We'll link that in the description. It has the contracts of every team, every player, when there's outs in the contracts, when a player's contract is up, like any information completely free is through spotrack.com. That's where you should be looking when we're talking about a lot of dynasty stuff. Being ahead of the curve on like stashes in dynasty means that you get guys like Gardner Minshew. You get guys like Jacoby Brissett on your roster. And by no means for the most part are those guys like league winners. But when you're getting a starting quarterback in the NFL, there's only 32. And if you're in a 12 team dynasty startup, man, those guys are fucking very hard to come by off the waiver wire almost impossible so getting those guys off the wire in a dynasty super flex league is like finding fucking gold and you know this to be true if you're playing in a dynasty super flex league even if you don't want that player right even if that player is like the quarterback five on your roster they have immense trading value right you have three or four solid quarterbacks on your roster already and you want to trade the Gardner Minshew's or the Jacoby Brissett's of the world you could do that for like a future early second round pick or a late first round pick for someone who is struggling like right by the trade deadline maybe there's a contender who just lost the quarterback or one of the quarterbacks is like busting on the team right it's like Ryan Fitzpatrick and he gets benched in week 12 or something for Tua that guy who had Fitzpatrick in his lineup doesn't have Tua now you could sell him Jacoby Brissett or the Gardner Minshew's I'm talking about last year obviously in the year before and things like that for you know, a late first or an early second because he wants to make that championship run. And on God, I mean this. Jeff Driscoll legitimately single-handedly got me into a dynasty playoff last year. All hail Jeff Driscoll. Now, when I want to break down the specific handcuff quarterbacks that I think are worth rostering, I'm not going to be talking about like, you know, Marcus Mariota and Derek Carr. Like, you're not going to be able to get either. Those are super obvious. You're not going to be able to get either of those guys on waiver wires in Dynasty Leagues. And you're also, everyone's like, oh, you can just get them as a throw. And like, also, no. Like, people don't value those guys as nothing. Like, if I have Mar Mariota on my team, I'm expecting him to make some starts for the Raiders this year. So I'm not trading him away for absolutely nothing. I want to talk about, like, the real legit handcuff stashes that are probably available on your waiver wire right now. When you're looking at handcuffing quarterbacks, there are two things I think you should primarily look at. It's one quarterbacks on teams that are on one-year contracts or they have an easy out in their contract after this next year so you could look at who might be the replacement for them two you want to look at quarterbacks who just aren't good and have a chance of being replaced mid-year and I made this little chart for you I made a chart for you guys of possible quarterbacks that I think can uh, end up on the sidelines this year or next year 
I give you the team, I give you the player, I give you the reason why, I give you my concern level and who I think the handcuff is here. So Indianapolis, we have Rivers and Jacoby Brissett. Rivers is on a one-year contract. Brissett got the two-year contract last year, so he'll be a free agent. So if Brissett is actually on your wire, I would go pick him up right now because maybe he lands somewhere else as a fill-in gap quarterback or starting quarterback next year. Jacob Eason was their fifth-round pick this year. So he has the clearest path to being the quarterback next year. Uh, He's probably not available on your wire, but again, he is a fifth-round rookie, so it's possible that he's just sitting on someone's taxi squad or something um they did say rivers they think he could be a long-term quarterback i mean they're going to give him one shot if he's not good this year if he plays like he did last year he's not going to be the quarterback of the future and they're going to be looking elsewhere we look at jacksonville i mean gardner Minshew. as much as we love gardner Minshew, there's there's always i like gardner Minshew. like i'm going to be drafting him in super flex leagues i'll probably be investing him in dynasty leagues but you have to be objective about this shit and and say like listen there's a chance i mean he got benched last year right there's a chance that he plays really poorly this year and they don't want him you know on the field wasting games and they put my you know they go into full tank mode and they put Mike Lennon who is the recently signed backup quarterback so I think there's a real chance that Minshew gets benched at one point this year and if not he's probably not if he doesn't play well and they don't bench him he's probably not the quarterback of the future uh Dwayne Haskins has a very real chance of playing poorly he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year and they signed Kyle Allen to play behind him this year so Kyle Allen obviously has experience in the NFL he played for the Panthers last year I think Kyle Allen if someone dropped him after he got released from the Panthers is worth a stash behind Dwayne Haskins this year. Matt Stafford, uh, this is a tough one. I'm probably in my lone boat here. There's just so much talk about Matt Stafford being like such a value this year. And we've been spoiled by all these older quarterbacks playing into their deep 30s and playing successfully. But those are also like the best quarterbacks of all time. We're talking about like Tom Brady and Drew Brees playing into their late 30s. And it's like not every, just because a few quarterbacks have done it, there are so many more quarterbacks that haven't done it. Most of these guys are flaming out by year 32, 33, 34. And I look at Matt Stafford, this is just one of those gut feelings where his his downfall for me the way I think about it is coming way sooner than most other people are thinking about it there's the injury I mean he's dealt with serious literally fucking broken back injuries for bike to bike years broken bike bike to bike that's an issue for guys in their 30s I understand he's not 39 like Tom Brady so you think that he's still young but you can't overcome those injuries time and time and time and time again and expect it not to affect you we also have uh, a lot of trade rumors about Matt Stafford. I don't personally think he's going to get traded, but there's a chance that Matt Patricia and that whole squad is out of here if they play poorly this year and the new squad comes in and they want a new quarterback or something like that. Um, there's also a potential contract out after this year if they want to let him go. And they signed Chase Daniel to be the backup. Obviously, he's not the long-term solution. But if Matt Stafford gets injured, then Chase Daniel comes in and is the quarterback, just how Jeff Driscoll was last year for Detroit. So Chase Daniel, I guess, could be worse. Jared Stidham, right now they have no one else in New England. Cam Newton coming over as soon as he can get that physical done. You know nothing about Jared Sidham. Is he going to be a good quarterback? I have no fucking idea. Is he going to be a terrible quarterback? Also have no fucking idea. But any rookie any rookie quarterback could play poorly and get benched immediately. So they signed Brian Hoyer to be their backup quarterback. He's a veteran, of course. He, he I would, if they go into the year with just Sidham and Brian Hoyer, I would put a 95% chance on Brian Hoyer stepping on the field at one point or another during the 2020 season. So I think Brian Hoyer is actually a very, very, very sneaky good Superflex pickup just in terms of like value. I know he, he might not even crack your fucking starting lineup, but if you want a starting quarterback at one point or another this year, Brian, Brian Hoyer is a good bet, uh, you know, assuming they don't sign anyone else. Big Ben coming back from injuries. He's dealt with so many fucking injuries year over year over year over year. He's old as shit too. 
It's not that easy to recover. Mason Rudolph is the one behind him. Obviously, you don't want Mason Rudolph. He was fucking terrible last year. But it's possible that everyone saw him and is like, oh, he was fucking terrible last year. Uh, let me drop him because he's never going to be useful in Dynasty. I would pick him up. I think there's a decent chance that he gets back on the field at some point this year if Big Ben gets hurt. You have Drew Locke. Uh, obviously, my concern level is a 1.5. But you never know. With these inaccurate quarterbacks, like... This is probably ignorant. There's no way they're benching Drew Locke. But maybe he plays really, 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 really fucking poorly. And Dris Driscoll comes in and gets you into the playoffs like he did for me last year. Uh, last one is Jimmy G. Now, they have a big potential contract out after this year. He was obviously on that massive deal. But I believe if they cut him this summer. Let me actually look up that in real time for y'all. So I don't just spew out a bunch of bullshit that's a lie. I don't feel like Kyle Shanahan really trusts Jimmy G that much. There's a reason why they're extremely run heavy. There's a reason why Jimmy G has so many games where he doesn't attempt that many passes. 2018 dead cap hit was 42 million. Last year was 14 million. If they cut him next year, they're only losing about $3 million in dead cap as opposed to 27 million against the cap. So I think there's a very real chance that Jimmy G is not the quarterback for the Niners long-term. Uh, as crazy as that sounds... And, you know, obviously everyone on this list are, are are unlikely not to be the starting quarterback. I'm giving you handcuff options, and they're very far and few between and hard to come by. Few and far between, far and few between. We're making shit up over here. It's very early right now. It's like 9 in the morning. I usually don't film this early. So uh, anything that comes out of my house, I'm not held liable for. that I just spilled on myself. Well, Nick Mullins is the backup there. I think you could find worse handcuffs than Nick Mullins because this quarterback situation might get a little funky next year because that's a massive contract, $27 million to hit when it's only $3 million in dead cap if they do end up cutting him. So those, those are the guys that I would probably look at as guys that are attainable via trade or most likely available on your waiver wire as legit handcuff options. Isaiah asks, hey, Nick, for the Q&A video, I have to ask you if you knew that animal was streaming him playing Call of Duty on the BDGE Twitch account. And if so, why? I watched him stream once and I was literally the only homie watching. Now, this is more of a, a business question. To answer your initial question, yes, of course, I knew that he was uh, that he was streaming on our on our Big Dogs account. If you're not following us on Twitch, it's Big Dogs Fantasy. I think it's just twitch.tv slash Big Dogs Fantasy. We are going to be doing a lot more streaming once we are together physically, right? We're in the headquarters. I got the TVs downstairs. We got the Xbox hooked up. We'll probably play a lot of Madden games and whatnot. Listen, in today's landscape of social media and building a brand, you know, you hear this a lot like, oh, you have to be everywhere if you want to succeed. It's true and it's not true in a sense. Like we've hit our market very successfully via YouTube and that's where I spend most of my energy. But as someone who wants to continue to innovate and push forward, you always have to be looking at where the new opportunities are. Uh, it's a reason we're extremely active on YouTube and it's we're uh, all everyone on the team is extremely active on Twitter. I mean, if you tweet at us, you're getting at least like right now, if you guys go tweet at us, I want you to do this. Go tweet at me, Animal, Snacks, Noah, Mike, George, Scott, anyone with the big dog's handle. Tweet us, follow us, and use the hashtag cluntbaby, C-L-U-N-T-B-A-B-Y. I guarantee you like seven out of the eight people will like it and probably respond to you and probably tell you to fuck off, to be honest with you. We just try to be extremely active everywhere, right? YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. We wish we were more active on, on TikTok and Twitch, but at the same time, we have to funnel our energy 
to the right place, right? We only have a finite amount of energy. We only have a finite amount of time. And I spend a lot of time recording and editing and researching and doing these videos for you guys, because this is where we get the most ROI in terms of where we invest, right? Like we'll get the most engagement. I'll get the most audience members coming in new to the brand and also building the brand stronger through YouTube. But we do want to be everywhere. And as I'm growing, I need to outsource a lot of things, man. I can't take all this on myself. So if Animal wants to hop on Twitch, sure. Like case in point, there's no, there's no bot, there's no floor to it. There's no, there's no reason not to let him do that. You know what I mean? Like there's no bad part about it. Sure. Only one person watches, but like if three people enjoy watching him do that, I don't give a fuck. And also like, it's not a numbers thing for us. It's, it's never about the numbers for us. We're just trying to build a strong ass foundation and community. And if you guys enjoy it, sure. If you don't, if there's only one person watching, then yes, that's the market saying that they don't really enjoy it. But then again, animal doesn't have the following that I do. Like if I want to go on Twitch, I could email 10,000 of you guys. If, and I could post it on YouTube and have 35,000 people see it and then post it on Twitter and have another 10,000 people see it and bring on an audience. He doesn't have that. So I, he is acquainted with big dogs, but he doesn't always have the same pull that we do. So when you see those numbers, I don't look at that as a bad thing. Like I don't, I don't care about, we don't care about the numbers. We're just doing what we enjoy. And if you guys want to enjoy that with us, that's, that's what it comes down to. I can't be everywhere. So it can't be me always on Twitch. I give you, you'd be surprised the amount of people that have the YouTube login, the Instagram login, my Twitter logins, fucking the Twitch logins, like everyone on the team that's worked on something that we do has logins for everything, man. This is a very, very big team effort for real. Like I did this for a while by myself, but it's no longer the case anymore. And I trust the, the players on my team. Uh, to do the right things. And we're all learning, man. We're all learning. Maybe Animal will switch up his streaming tactics. Probably not because he's kind of a fucking idiot, to be honest with you. But it's all it's all fun. It's all in love, man. I I don't look at the one follow, one person that was watching him and I'm like, Animal, you need to do better. Like, it's just, it's just not how we, how we operate. So I just wanted to address that question because I thought it was funny that you took that very, uh, it, almost, it almost felt like you took that to to, to the heart. Nick Haas, favorite place to eat in NYC, favorite bar in NYC. Oh man, I should have prepared for this question. I'll be honest with you, man. I'm not really like, I'm not big into the restaurant scene. I realized that like, I didn't realize that this was a thing. Like me and my friends, at least when we were younger, we travel a lot. Like we do a lot of weekend trips to, you know, wherever, if it was like Boston or Texas or wherever I've been to, to a lot of the cities within the country. And most people are like, Oh, how was the food? Like, where did you go to eat? And I'm always like, I don't like about McDonald's probably like I enjoy food, obviously, like everyone enjoys food, but that's not like my I, I don't care for expensive restaurants. I don't care for that kind of stuff. Like I, I like going to like pizzerias. I like going to places, but that's not really my my wheelhouse. We're talking about favorite bars in NYC. The rooftop bars are second to none, which is what makes COVID so fucking tough in the city right now, because everyone in the summer is just always at a rooftop bar. Like if it's nice out and it's a Friday or a Saturday or even like a fucking Tuesday at 6 p.m. Everyone's getting out of work. They're at a rooftop bar. Mr. Purple is really fun. Westlight in Brooklyn is really fun. I got to shout out. I love, I love, uh, low-key everyone hates this, but there's like a corner in NYC in like the, I think it's like the Lower East Side maybe, where it's like Hair of the Dog, Pizza Beach, and like a couple other bars, like Pianos is in the area. And it's ratchet as fuck, but I love that area so much. Like I love Pizza Beach, bro. My sister especially makes fun of me all the time for loving Pizza Beach, but I love Pizza Beach. It's, it's a bar. It's not a fucking, it's not a pizzeria, although the food there is really good. And last time I was there, someone that I went to college with, undergrad with, was actually working as the bartender. We got free drinks the whole time and they make these drinks. They give them to you in a shark cup. 
So it's like a novelty drink. So when you're drunk, you get super fucking unnecessarily excited about it. But there's Everclear in the drink. So you have like two of them and you're fucking on your ass. Then you go over to the hair of the dog and that's where you close the fucking deal. Find a little thotty and lock it down for the night. Sorry. So those are fun. I'll always have a little place in my heart for sweet and vicious. It's not really that cool of a bar, to be honest, but they got all different types of margaritas on deck. Hell of frozen margs, which I'm not really a big fan of frozen margaritas. I feel like it's really hard to get 25% of a frozen margarita down. There's also this other really fucking weird Russian. I'm just naming bars off the top of my head, not even ones that I really enjoy. There's like a Russian bar in New York. If you could find it, it's hard to find. I don't know. We stumbled into it one night. And if you go downstairs... They have, I, legit, it's like a shitty little fucking bar. There's like a secret downstairs room, and there is this section of the bar where it's like, uh, you ever been to a wedding or, or like a bar mitzvah or something where you step into like a, not a cage, but like a, a glass box, and they like shoot the money up or something, and you try to catch it while like the vacuums are fucking shooting up and stuff? It's like that, except there's no money and there's no air coming up. You it's a freezing cold box. So you put on these giant fur coats because it's freezing in there and you pay the bartender. I think it's like maybe like 20 bucks a person. You go in there with like two or three people and you put these coats on and they lock the door and they put a timer of three minutes on. And the only thing in there is a shelf, a 360 shelf with bottles of vodka. And you have a three minute time limit, a three minute timer going off where all you do is drink as much vodka as you possibly can in the three minutes. It's the most fucking absurd thing now I'm thinking about it. And I hated my life the next morning. I remember Steve fucking... <laughs> Steve cried that night. Later on that night because we were so drunk, it was ridiculous. Uh, so really, I fucking hate every bar, to be honest with you. I'll just make homemade margaritas for the rest of my life. Which segues into the last part of this. Last week, we did a White Claw review. And I also said I had that other box of the mixed drinks that I said I was going to do a review for. It's fucking 9.40 a.m. in the morning. It's Memorial Day weekend, though. It's Saturday. Fuck it. We're going to do it live. All right. So uh, this was the other box of alcohol I got. They're called Cape Line. Six simple ingredients. Nothing artificial. I've already actually tried these. They're very good. You could taste that they're not artificial, like no extra nasty sugar at the end of it. 120 calories as, a pair, uh, as opposed to 100 calories for White Claw. Also 4.5% alcohol, so like kind of not the best bang for your buck, but they taste good as shit. There's three flavors. There's like a mojito, a blackberry or blackberry mojito, I think, strawberry lemonade, and then the fucking margarita. So I'm going to do the margarita right now for you. As always, I got that shit on my flesh. That's a real fucking tattoo. Gluten-free too. It's really 9.40 fucking a.m. in the morning. I didn't even, like, pay attention to tasting it. It's a fantastic summer drink. It doesn't really taste anything like a margarita. You know what it tastes like? It tastes like, uh, bring back real good memories. Very nostalgic right now. It tastes like Bud Light Limes. It tastes like Bud Light Limes or the giant, there's a margarita. Did Bud Light start making margaritas? There's a, there's a, there's a margarita drink, I think made by Bud Light or something, but it tastes like those like margaritas or Bud Light Limes, except without the nasty, like bitter aftertaste of it. Because I guess all the ingredients are natural and there's only six ingredients in here, they don't have all the added nasty shit in it. So it doesn't have that like bite at the end. So this is actually a really refreshing, like good summer drink. So I would check out Cape Line. Believe it or not, I actually like the other flavors better than this one. I don't hate these. Good summer drink. Assuming we're going to still pretend we have summer. 
that's the review for this week. I'll try to figure out something else to uh, to suck down next week. And that is Q&A Monday for y'all. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure you hit the thumbs up button. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you're new, we're doing Q&A every single Monday. Tomorrow, we start on our wide receiver rankings video so stop yelling also have a new podcast in the works it might be live by now if it is i will link it down below it's called why you yelling and it's literally just me every single day five to ten minutes throwing off the top of the dome something that's on the top of my mind i want to get it off my chest i want to try not to yell about it which is why i ask you and named it why you yelling that's it i love y'all for the support as always and i will see you when i see you Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. 